A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Guerrero. The 11 Olympic team members slain in West Germany. The Olympic Games. So geheimt waren die Brüder in Amerika. Von Kauten Schabes hat es getan. Out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, it is never too little. It is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide. Welcome, everyone, to Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehudi Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites, and this episode has been generously sponsored by the Rada and Kendall families. So... Before we get to tonight's episode on the Dvar Avram, the Kovna Rav, just uh, some feedback from recent episodes. We had a um, a nice a nice story of the Haskalah movement last week um, for Purim. A nice little Purim break now. Welcome everyone back. And um, got a very interesting comment. Not about the episode, mind you, about the graphics of the episode. No, no, I always try in the Jewish history soundbites to pique uh, the audience's interest by having some nice uh, graphics and pictures that are somewhat related to the um, to the topic at hand. And when I was doing um, the one on the Haskalah, felt like if we just had pictures of maskilim. And uh, of the sort, then it would, you know, be kind of one-sided and glorifying, as it were, to the uh, to the Haskalah movement. So I thought it would be appropriate to have a rabbi who is involved in the opposition, the traditionalist uh, uh, element um, t- that was opposed to the uh, changes that that various factions in the Haskalah movement wanted to implement in the Jewish people. So I put a picture of Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, the Tzemach Tzedek, the third Rebbe of Chabad, Lubavitch, in the graphics of that episode. And then I got the following uh, feedback back from a... I don't, th- I don't even think he's a listener, because he, he clearly didn't listen to the episode. He only saw the graphics. And he writes like this, including the greatest defender of Judaism against the Haskalah in a graphic that could make people think he is part of Haskalah is a poor choice. End of 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 comment. So, um, I, I got I happened to get this an hour before I left for shul to hear the Megillah on the night of Purim. So at first I assumed it was a Purim joke, um, and I uh, thought it was kind of funny. But then I realized that the letter writer was serious. And um, I just think it's a misunderstanding, the idea that anyone would think that the Tzemach Tzedek was part of the Haskalah. And obviously, when we're talking about the Haskalah, we're talking about also 
the struggle within the Jewish community of pro and anti and traditionalist elements who are opposed to the new winds of change brought on by the Haskalah movement, and therefore it was very appropriate to have someone like the Tzemach Tzedek in that picture. So I thought that was funny. Um, in the context of Purim and and that that whole thing, so um, in I, I still have, Davi Safir and I still have in the Mishpacha magazine the For the Record Trivia Contest, and it's still going. It's still going on. So if you haven't submitted your answers yet on mishpacha.com, for the For the Record Trivia um, Contest, and there's going to be prizes eventually when when it's over, so utilize the last few days you have to submit your answers. We had a f- some low scores coming in, so um, I guess maybe the questions were a little too tricky, some of them, but um, but I think you guys can do better, and you know the Jewish History Selmites listeners especially, we expect very... Very high scores from everyone. So, uh, you know, put a little effort in and, uh, we already have close to 800 entries, quite a few, and they're still flying in. So by the time you hear this, it'll probably be even higher. So join in and, and do that as, as well. So moving along to today's topic, I want to speak a little bit about the legendary Kovnarov, Rabbi Ram Daivber Kahana Shapiro, the author of the Dvar Avraham, the halachic work the Dvar of Rum, and he was the last rabbi of Kovna in Lithuania, and he passed away during the Holocaust. He was not killed, he passed away in the uh, in the ghetto from natural causes. Um, he was elderly, he was sick, probably the uh, ghetto situation did not help uh, matters much. But I want to start off with a story. Uh, when I was a young uh, Bacher student at Mir Yeshiva many years ago, and I was in the shear of Rabbi Yosef Elephant, my Rebbe at the Mir Yeshiva. And Rabbi Elephant quoted a Dvar Avraham in the context of the shear. He cited something from the Dvar Avraham. And then he stops and he says, does anyone know who the Dvar Avraham was? And of course, one fellow there raised his hand, yours truly. And unfortunately, no one else did. So he got, uh, he got upset and he said, he stopped the shear and he said, let me tell you guys a story. And he said, my wife's grandfather, this is, his wife is a Farbstein, so you're talking about uh, Rabbi Avram Farbstein, who was the Rosh Hashiva of the Hebron Yeshiva. So prior to his position in Hebron, he was on the Tel Aviv Rabbanut, following the war, after World War II, after the Holocaust. And uh, during and th- during that time period, when survivors were showing up in in uh, in in Palestine, and then the early years of the state of Israel. So, uh, you know, there was, uh, you know, it was a whole big, you know, crazy situation after the war, and no one knew what ended, what happened to family members, and, you know, every time someone wanted to get married, they had to check their yichus and, and see what their story was and what type of family they were from, and it was a very, very complicated situation. All records were lost, all communal records were lost, all families were lost, and there was a woman who came into the Tel Aviv Rabbanut, and she wanted to get married. So they just needed to make sure that she comes from uh, Yichus and a regular family. So Rabbi Avram Farbstein just asked her a few questions about where she comes from. So she says, Funvana kumstir, where do you come from? So she said, I'm from Kovna. 
and she he says and just to check that she you know to make sure she's Jewish she said and this is a irreligious woman a non-observant uh, non-religious uh, uh, non-orthodox uh, woman so he says to her Unvers given the the Kovna Rav. Who was the rabbi in Kovna? She says, Vas Kahana Shapiro. Of course, you know, like it's the most obvious and simple thing in the world that the uh, Dvar Avram was the Kovna Rav. So so Rabbi Elephant ends off the story and says, based on that, the Ravram Farbstein allowed this woman to get married because this established that she's Jewish. So I guess all of you have to go and check your yichus to make sure you're Jewish because you have never heard of the Dvar of Ram. So, so that's, uh, that's the story. It's you know, a funny story. So I went over to him uh, that night and I asked, asked Rabbi Elephant, Rabbi, can you, can you tell me why is it so important? I happen to have known who he was, but why do you feel that it's so important that we all knew who the Dvar of Ram was? And he turns to my Chavrusa and I and he says to him, and he says to us, who, do you know who plays left field for the Yankees? Unfortunately, at that time, I did not know who played left field uh, for the Yankees, but my chavrusa did, and he said, Gary Sheffield. So he said, if you know who's playing left field for the Yankees, then you should know who the Dvar of Raham was. It's a part of who you are, it's part of your past. And in fact, it's, it's one of my favorite people. When we go on the trips, and we end up in Lithuania, we go to Kovna, so his kever, his, his grave is one of the great spots where we dive and we talk about him, the Choral Synagogue in Kovna. I like to say stories about the Kovna Rav, the Dvar of Ram there. There's loads of stories. There's so much to say. And since there is so much to say, so perhaps we'll have to have a follow-up episode uh, with more. So you can be in touch with me about that to sponsor a part two on the Dvar of Ram and the Kovna Jewish community during that last uh, time period before the war. And of course, about other sponsorships and other episodes, lectures, and anything else that you want to be in touch with me about. So the Dvar Ram, again, his name is Rabbi Ram Dov Kahana Shapiro, but he's always known by the Sefer that he authored the Dvar Avraham, the word of Avraham, and he comes from a very impressive family. Um, his origins are by, from Rabbi Chaim Velazhener, the founder of the Velazhener Yeshiva, through his daughter Relka, who married the first Kahana Shapiro, and I referred to that in part one of the Velazhen series quite a way back. So the Dvar Avram actually comes from the base Harav, the family of the Velazhen Yeshiva, of Reb Chaim Velazhener. And his father was Reb Zalman Sender Kahana Shapiro, who, um, who had studied at the Velazhen Yeshiva also, and he was a very prestigious rabbi in Rosh Yeshiva. He was the Rosh Yeshiva in Malch, and later on in Krinik, um, Rabbi uh, Kamenetsky actually studied for a short time in Malch by Rabbi Zalman Sender Kana Shapiro. Other words, Rabbi Unterman, Rabbi Siyud Unterman, the chief rabbi of the state of Israel later on. Uh, so later on, Rabbi Zalman Sender uh, lived in Yerushalayim. In his last years, he spent in Shari Chesed, in the neighboring Yerushalayim. In fact, in the tours that I do of Harazesim in Yerushalayim, we go to some very often to uh, Rabbi Zalman Sender's uh, uh, kever on Harazesim. The Dvar of Ram's mother, actually, it doesn't end his ichas. Uh, she, she descended from Rabbi Alexander Ziskind of Herodna, the author of the Asayid Vishayrish HaAvayda, a very famous uh, work, an important work. So he, he talking about he came from the Lithuanian rabbinic elite. And he, of course, goes ahead, based on that family background, to study in the Velazhen Yeshiva. 
And he goes ahead, and who does he marry? He continues into the rabbinic elite of of uh, of um, of Lithuania. He marries the daughter of the Minsker Gadol, Rabbi Yerucham Yehuda Leib Perlman, one of the greatest rabbis in the Russian Empire. And there's all kinds of interpretations about why he was referred to as the Gadol, the Great One, probably because he was so great. But it also had to do with internal things in the Minsk rabbinate, which is another story. We'll talk about Minsk one day. And um, the Dvar of Rome becomes the rabbi in Smolovich, not far from Minsk. Now both he and, and another son-in-law of, of the Minsker Gadol, Reblazer Rabinovich, served as rabbis in Smolovich for a, a, a period of time. In fact, Reblazer Rabinovich, uh, the Dvar of Rome's brother-in-law, took over the Minsk rabbinate when the Minsker Gadol uh, passed away in, in 1908, I believe, uh, Reblazer Rabinovich. So he was he was the rabbi there through uh, through the uh, no sorry not in nineteen oh eight earlier either way it doesn't whatever it's irrelevant uh, I didn't look it up um, so um, Reblazer Rabinovich was the rabbi in in Minsk in fact his son in law um, was originally was uh, was Professor Saul Lieberman uh, before before his wife uh, passed away and then later on Saul Lieberman married the daughter of of Mayor Barilan. But his first wife was the daughter of Reblazer Rabinovich, uh, so he was uh, kind of like a nephew of the Dvar of Rum, interestingly enough. Also, another son-in-law of Reblazer Rabinovich was Yosef Shub, who was the right-hand man of Reb Chaim and ran the Vada Yeshivas, who was killed by the Nazis. So that's the family of Reblazer Rabinovich, who also was a son-in-law of the Minsker Gadol, or Yurcham Yehudaleb Perlman. So he marries into this uh, prestigious family. So the Dvar of Rum. Um, is, the, is the Rav in, in, in Smolovich. And then later on, he becomes, he, he's appointed as the rabbi in Kovna. How does that come about? The Kovna rabbinate was, there was a whole controversy in, in how he was appointed. Um, I mean, his, his, his appointment settled the controversy before he was the rabbi there. Um, the previous rabbi uh, was Reb Tzvi Hirsch Rabinovich, who is the son of the legendary Kovna Rav, Reb Yitzchak Specter. And Reb Tzvi Hirsch passed away. And he was he was relatively young. It was a little bit unexpected, and it was in 1910. And the question came: Who would replace him? And it became a somewhat of a controversy between the different factions within the Kovna Jewish community. In fact, Reb Meir Simcha of Dvinsk, the Arsameach, was a serious contender for the position. He was even somewhat officially hired at one point, but it didn't work out, and he stayed in Dvinsk. And uh, one of the people who was very involved in who would be appointed to be the rabbi in Kovna was Reb David Karliner, Reb David Friedman. He was the rabbi of Karlin, which was far away from Kovna. But he was the most senior, most respected rabbi in the area of Jewish Lithuania at the time. And he was very involved. And someone actually questioned him. You're so far away. You're in Pinsk. You have your own rabbinate in Pinsk. Why are you butting into the Kovna rabbinate? What does that have to do with you? And he replied that the Kovna Rabbinate belongs to the Jewish people. It belongs to Klal Yisrael. It is, it's not limited to the Kovna Jewish community. Such was the centrality of Kovna in the Jewish world of the Russian Empire at the time, even though it was a relatively new Jewish community. For most of history in Jewish Lithuania, Jews were not well established there at all. They were across the river in the suburb of Kovna in Slabotka, but they were not in the city of Kovna itself, until in recent times, until basically the 18th, 19th century, but uh, very quickly rose to a central position in the Jewish world. There was always somewhat of a rivalry between Kovna and Vilna, 
which was more prestigious and more important during the time of Rabbi Yitzchak Khanan Specter's tenure as rabbis. So that was the golden age of Jewish Kavna. They're very proud of their rabbi and his leadership position of the Jews in the Russian Empire. So again, till World War I, Kavna and the whole Lithuania obviously is in, in the Russian Empire. It's part of the Pale of Settlement. Um, after World War I, it's in independent Lithuania. And however, is a, it's important to understand the geography at this point because a major development made Kavna even more central because, um, because during this tenure of the Dvar of Ram, following World War I, he becomes the rabbi in 1913. So uh, following World War I, when Poland becomes independent and Lithuania becomes independent, so Poland decides to take over Vilna and its environs and annex it to Poland. So in the interwar period, Vilna, the, what it was ostensibly for throughout history, the Vilna was the capital of Lithuania, all of a sudden Vilna's in Poland. And it's important to understand that. It's a lot of history of that of that those two decades in between the two world wars. Vilna is part of Poland, and the whole Vilna area is part of Poland. And so independent Lithuania during that time is a very small country. And what's the capital? Kovna, because Vilna's gone. It's in another country. So imagine your capital of your country becomes in another country. It's it's pretty bizarre. But Kovna becomes most sense, the capital city. So the Dvar of Ram had the most important position in the entire country for most of his uh, his time as the rabbi there. So in 1913, before World War I even starts, he's appointed the rabbi. All sides agree to his candidacy. And he is the last pre-war rabbi of Kovna. And his tenure there lasted three decades, 30 years. He was very popular. He was the beloved leader of all streams of Kovna Jewry, and really of all of Lithuania. He was the most important rabbi in the entire Lithuania at the time. Um, Kovna at the time, during those three decades, was uh, was an interesting place. It was a very diverse Jewish community. There was still quite a few religious Jews, but the overwhelming majority was already had already was more secular, um, less traditional, less observant. And he was the rabbi of the entire community. In fact, uh, again, when I was in the mirror, I, I used to hear a chumashir from one of the rabbeim in the mirror, Moshe Aaron Friedman. And uh, he, he said something that, and I usually don't say Divrei Torah on this, on this podcast, because try to stick to history. But this is a historical uh, chumash idea from the Dvar of Ram. He, he, and it's I heard from him, from Moshe Aaron Friedman. So he said that... Uh, that uh, that we say in in the parsha by Avram Avinu when he was praying to Hashem that to save the people of Sdaim, the evil uh, the evil wicked Sdaim, the people there. So Avram Avinu says to Hashem, he says, maybe there's fifty tzaddikim in Sdaim, maybe there's forty, maybe there's thirty, maybe there's twenty, maybe there's ten. And the question that the Dvar Avram asked, you know, it's it's a very Interesting conversation. Uh, he's coming and saying, maybe, maybe, maybe. What are you, what are you hacking Hashem at Chinik? What are you, what are you bothering him for? Before you go have a conversation with Hashem, before you start your whole prayer session, go get data, bring statistics, go into the field, do some research, find out how many tzaddikim are in Zdaim, and come back with real data. Come and tell him, I found 27 tzaddikim in Zdaim. Do we have a deal or there's no deal? So the Dvar of Ram had that question, and he answered in a very cynical way. He said, Zdoim is given vi Kovna. Zdoim was exactly like Kovna of our time. When Avram Avinu began the conversation, there were 50 tzaddikim in Zdoim. 
But a few minutes later, there was already only 40. A, lot, a bunch of these tzaddikim had already left Yiddishkeit, had already come far from Judaism, and then, then it was down to 30 and then to 20. And he said this in a way, he said it was like in Covenant, that's what they were seeing today, this mass secularization and leaving of Jewish observance. But yet, he remained the rabbi of the entire community. There was the love that Covenant Jews had for him, the awe, the respect, even from all the less traditional or or completely non-observant elements of the community. He was he would visit the various shuls and institutions um, of the community. He himself um, was affiliated with the Zionist movement. He from his Valajan days he was uh, affiliated with a clandestine uh, um, uh, organization within the yeshiva. And later on he had he had uh, connections to Zionism and the Zionist movement, as did many Lithuanian rabbis. By the way, it wasn't just the Dvar Avram. It was pretty common for uh, Litvisher rabbis at that time to uh, not be opposed to Zionism as they were in uh, other parts of Eastern Europe. Um, and he, among his other responsibilities, he also had a direct responsibility for the famed Kovna Kailo, which included financial responsibilities. His letters that he wrote to fundraise on behalf of the Kovna Kailo, which was one of the most important uh, uh, places for married elite uh, married students who were training to become rabbis and the, the future leadership of the Jewish people came from the Kavna Kail. Um, he was also one of the most prestigious and important paiskim in the world. Um, his halacha uh, was sought out, his psak, and he wrote his his responsa, which became his Sefer Dvar Avram. In fact, volume one, he wrote when he was a young rabbi in Smolovich. He was young, and, and, and in fact, there's a letter that he wrote, uh, that he was complaining that it doesn't sell well enough as he anticipated because no one learns anymore these days. This is in 1907. He says, no one studies Torah like they used to, and therefore no one appreciates my Sefer. <laughs> he wrote that, but he wrote it, but he, he published his first volume then as a young rabbi. He would be one of the main rabbis giving the smicha, writing rabbinical ordination to the candidates. Uh, of his day, to the young, to young uh, aspiring rabbis of his time. And the, in fact, one of the ways that he would test them was he would sit them down in his office and they would serve as rabbi of Kovna for the day. And all the questions that were forwarded to the rabbi of Kovna would be, go to this candidate. And the Varum would sit next to the young uh, uh, candidate and he, they would get real experience. And he would say, what do you have to say about this question? Each question they would have to decide for and he would either approve or disapprove, and based on that, he would um, give his uh, his certification and giving them the smicha. In fact, when Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky was uh, leaving Europe uh, to, he, to to go to the United States, he went to say this story I heard from from the famed uh, uh, Jewish History Salmai's listener, Eli Neuberger. He told me this story today. He said, so he went to say goodbye to the, so Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky went to say goodbye to the Kovner Rav, to the Dvar Rav. So the Dvar Ram told him, I have an American-style question for you. I want to tell you what type of questions you should, you should anticipate when you go to America. So I'm going to tell you an American-style question for a rabbi. He said, in Kovna, the custom is at the unveiling of his tombstone, the oldest son pulls the cover off of the tombstone at the unveiling. But if the oldest son, son can't be there, can the, can the second oldest son do the unveiling instead. That's the type of questions you should be ready for. That's an American American type of questions. I guess that's the way he, at least he viewed the American Jewish community at the time. Um, he also wrote, he, he gave, he delivered a, 
1936, the Dvar of Ram delivered a talk on Taira Samishpacha, on family purity, in, uh, in Kovna. And based on his talk, they published a pamphlet in Yiddish on Taira Samishpacha, and that was a bestseller. This Yiddish pamphlet was sold everywhere. It was very popular. It was reprinted a second time before the war, and then a third time in a DP camp after the war. You see how the practical halacha of the Dvaram was immensely popular, especially since it was written in Yiddish. Um, and I was not aware of this story at all till recently when a dedicated and quite knowledgeable listener of Jewish History Soundbites pointed me towards this very interesting and not so well-known story about this Tyrus HaMishpacha Yiddish pamphlet of the Dvar of Ram that kept on being reprinted. And this uh, listener added a few great tidbits that I am relating to you in this episode about the Dvar of Ram, but he does not allow me to thank him by name, so I'm just going to put it out there. So the Dvar of Ram publishes volumes one and two of his Sefer before he settled in, in Kovna, before he settled into the busy Kovna rabbinate, which was a busy rabbinate, and he planned on publishing more Sfarim. He never got around to it. He was very busy with communal activities, which he put as a priority than to publishing his own works. And most interestingly, one of the, one of the books that he wanted to publish was a memoir. It's not a typical uh, thing for a rabbi to publish, but that was his dream to write that. And of course, uh, and that, that um, like most of his Sfarim, it, got lost uh, during the war, so we never got the Dvar of Ram's memoir, which would have been fascinating to see. I would have loved to read it. Um, he did send the manuscript of his drushes, his speeches, and his uh, and his volume three of Dvar of Ram. He was able to send it to his son in the United States before the war broke out, or as the war was breaking out, and he subsequently was able to publish it. Um, the Dvar of Ram, among these other activities, he was the founder and president of the Agudas Harabanim of Lithuania, of the independent Lithuania, after World War I. See, he ran this massive, was over 100 members, like 150 members or something, um, that he was the president and the founder, and he ran the operations of the Agudas Harabanim as well in, in Lithuania. Um, he had a, a connection with students in the Slabatki Yeshiva. Slabatka was the neighborhood across the river in the suburb, and uh, many students of the Slabatki Yeshiva who would come to speak to the Dvar of Ram. Rabbi Yaakov Yitzhak Ruderman, the future Rashiva of Neri Yisrael, was very close with the Dvar of Ram. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, Rav Hutner would go speak to men. Many of the famous students of Slabatka also had somewhat of an affiliation. In fact, uh, Rav Ruderman would enjoy going on walks with uh, with uh, the, the Dvar of Ram as well. And, and there's also... There's a shul I point out. There was a one Hasidic shul in the entire Kovna. And there was a Karlin shul. And it's still standing. I, I go to, I showed it to the groups when we go. And uh, one time Rav Ruderman was walking with the Dvar of Ram and it was in the mid-morning. And they heard the, the, the Karlin. Karlin, they, they, they daven very loudly. And it was in the middle of the morning. It was, and they were davening and they heard them davening. So, so Rav Ruderman asked uh, the Dvar of Ram, what are they screaming about? And the Dvar Ram, who had a sense of humor, he says to him, he said, it's, it's very late. The Hasidim, they daven late. And, it, and, they're, and they're screaming to get the gates of heaven open so that their prayers should be able to go through. That's why they're screaming. That was just a cute joke uh, that he said. In 1924, the Dvar Ram went on a very famous trip to the United States together with Ramesh Mordechai Epstein, the Rosh Slobatka Rosh Yeshiva, and the one who headed the, the, the trio, the, the, this procession, this visit, was Rav Kook, who was the rabbi of Yushlaim, the rabbi of the, of Pal- Chief Rabbi Palestine at the time, and the rabbi of Yushlaim. 
and the three of them went together. It was a. It was the first. Of, this was a historic trip, very covered in the media everywhere. Everywhere they traveled, everywhere they went, and who they met, and and this was a fundraising trip for the yeshivas of Lithuania, and um, and this was the first such trip of its kind. It was also the fact that it was three of these famous rabbis together who were going. It's Rav Ram, Rav Kook, Rav Mordechai, very famous people together, and also it was one of the first trips. It preceded all the other famous ones that took place later in the 1920s and the 1930s, all the other ones of all the uh, uh, great Russia yeshiva who came on fundraising trips to the United States later on. This was the first one, 1924, um, and they, this, this, was, this was like making history with their visit uh, to everywhere uh, in, in the United States. Um, the Dvar Avram had a family and fascinating children, so just to give a little bit of a profile of some of his kids, um, his, he had a son... His name was Professor Chaim Nachman Shapira, a fascinating person. He went to study in Vienna, and he received his doctorate there in 1925. He returns to Kovna, and he becomes a professor of Semitic languages at the Kovna University. He was a researcher, a writer, an educator, a Zionist activist. He published many important works. He was involved in the Tarbut schools in Kovna and Lithuania and many other interwar Lithuanian-Jewish endeavors. Uh, he was killed at the Ninth Fort outside Kovna during the Holocaust with his mother, who was a widow by that time, and his wife and, and, and child. So his entire family was wiped out. There was another son, Dr. Noach Shapiro, who learned in Slabatka as a, as a young uh, student, and then he got a doctorate in chemistry from the University of Berlin in 1924. And he also returns to Kovna, and he also becomes a, pro- a professor, becomes a professor of chemistry at the university in Kovna, and he also was involved in in, uh, in Jewish education at the local Jewish gymnasium in, in Kovna. In 1935, he picks himself up and he moves to Palestine, where he was once again involved in, in education, and later on he served as a professor at Bar Ilan. He told me these two sons, who took a bit of a different path than their father, returned to Kovna, and they didn't run away. They live alongside their father. And perhaps this family situation contributed to his his ability to be able to understand and his acceptance by the various factions of Kovna Jewry, who knows? Um, he had another son, Yerucham Yehuda Leib, who was named after, obviously, his, his father-in-law, um, and he moved to the United States, and he's the one who tried to bring his father over at the war's outset, uh, and Redvar Avram refused, he refused to leave the Kovna Jewish community, and he's also the one who published the third volume of Dvar Avram and the Drushes after the war. He had another son, Yaakov Shapiro, who lived in Israel, he had a daughter, Shandl, who lived in Russia. Um, either way, at the beginning of the war, the Dvar Ram was, um, for health reasons, he was in Switzerland. And, and uh, his son, this Yerucham Shapiro, sent, says, I'm able to get you a visa, come to the United States. There's, it's war now. And the Dvar Ram says, no, I'm not going to stay in Switzerland, and I'm not going to go to the United States. I'm going to go back to Kovna. My place is with my community. And he, despite the fact, and despite his son's offer, and despite, uh, he, he declines, and he goes to back to Kovna. And he's in the Kovna ghetto after the Nazi invasion in 1941, Operation Barbarossa. The Nazis invade. Lithuania had been uh, annexed to the Soviet Union in, in 1940, but then a year later, the Nazis invade. And so the Dvar Ram finds himself in the Kovna ghetto uh, during this, during the during the time of the Holocaust and his leadership at that time, uh, it, it's a, a phenomenal story in itself. Uh, he had a relationship with the Judenrat. It was technically actually called the Alternstadt, the the uh, group of elders 
but it was like the Judenrat, the Jewish uh, councils who the Nazis had appointed. And uh, in fact, the Kovna Judenrat, the Kovna Alter, Alter, whatever, how it's pronounced in German, um, it was different than most Judenrats. A lot of Judenrats during the Holocaust have a quite a poor reputation, and many times it's even justified that poor reputation they have. But it was different in Kovna. In Kovna, the, 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 they, they, were, they were genuine leaders who tried to do their best for the Jewish community. They were genuinely concerned for the people, and they were, to a certain extent, even loved by the people, by the ghetto inhabitants. Dr. Elchanan Elkis, who, was, who later died in Dachau, um, he, he was the head of the Judenrat, and he was beloved by the Kovna Jews in the ghetto, which is very rare for the head of a Judenrat. Either way, so to make it even more unique, is that very often members of the Judenrat would seek out the counsel of the Rav. And this is not, not so common. And they would visit him on occasion. Avram Tori, the famous diarist of the Kovna ghetto who served on the Judenrat, uh, visited the, the Dvar of Ram on occasion. Um, the Dvar of Ram was in charge of all the halacha in the ghetto. People came to him with all the, the worst uh, halacha questions of all time. And his, he gave Psak, uh, you know, uh, Rabbi Ephraim Ashri, who was the famous rabbi in the Kovna ghetto, was a student of the Dvar of Ram, and he discussed all his halachic questions with him. Most of the famous Mima Makim Holocaust questions that were published by Befraim Ashri after the war were discussed with his Rebbe, the Dvar of Ram. Um, he, the Dvar also found the time to write additions and corrections to his Sefer Dvar of Ram on scraps of paper which he obtained, and he attempted to send it to his son in the United States from the ghetto. It didn't make it, it remained in the Agudas Rabbanim archive until recently it was discovered. Um, and, uh, and, and then when he passed away, again, he's, he passed away in, inside the ghetto, um, from his illness. And, you know, Yad Vashem considers people like that Holocaust victims because the assumption is, is that if he would have been living in normal conditions, in a normal house, in a normal, normal access to medicine and hospitals and doctors, then he would not have passed away when he did. So even if he wasn't actually killed, uh, by the Nazis, and to an extent that he's considered a, a victim of the Holocaust, even though he died of natural causes. And then the Judenrat goes ahead and does something that's absolutely mind-boggling. They decide they're going to hold, against Nazi regulations, they're going to hold a public funeral, public levaya, the only time in the Kovna ghetto history. They even put up signs publicizing the fact that there's going to be a levaya. They're going all out. And thousands, thousands of Jews, the Jews of Kovna, from all t- stripes, from across the spectrum. They go to pay their respects in the middle of the ghetto, illegal gathering. They could have been all killed. They literally risked their lives, and miraculously the Nazis did not do anything about it. They did not, uh, I don't know, I don't know if they respected the rabbi either, but they didn't do anything, and they, and they, and it was safe, and they were able to bury him inside the ghetto. It was a temporary burial. After the war, he was reburied in the Jewish cemetery in Aleksut, another suburb of uh, Kavna, which is where he's buried today. So that's um, about the Dvar of Ram. This is Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at Yehuda at YehudaGeber.com for questions, comments, uh, lectures, sponsorships, um, and anything else. You can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites at Podbean or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.